Welcome to episode 34 of Mental Health by TalkLink. Here's what's coming up. Mum, are you going to kill me tonight? And she laughed. Anyway, then she asked me, if I was going to kill you tonight, how would you be feeling? And she grabbed a knife from the kitchen cupboard. At that point, I literally thought she was going to like come over to me and like kill me. Hi, I'm Rowan, and today we're doing something a little bit different. We've been hearing from clinicians and professors and counsellors and experts in their field on how they manage and treat those suffering from mental illnesses, ranging from everyday stresses through to severe conditions. The voices that we've not shared have been those of our listeners who have told us about their personal experiences of living with someone that has one of those serious conditions. Our guest today is Lucy, and as you'll hear from her journey, it's her mum who has a very severe mental health condition. And Lucy's going to share her own story and how she's learned to better understand her mother and improve their relationship. Today's podcast is brought to you by TalkLink. It's an online directory that we've designed exactly for this sort of purpose. If you need to find someone who's experienced in a certain area, you can search for that on talklink.com.au. You can see videos of most therapists and get a sense of what they're like before you even have to commit to go see them. You don't need a password. You don't need to provide any private information. You can just jump on and start browsing straight away. We're also hearing in the fallout of the pandemic and all the lockdowns and everything associated with that, that there's a huge strain on the mental health professionals in Australia and probably the whole world right now. Many of them have just huge waiting lists and the usual clinicians that GPs would refer to just can't take new clients. The great thing about TalkLink is that all the clinicians on the platform have capacity to take on new clients. Reaching out and speaking to someone is obviously a big step for many people. And the last thing that you want is to finally muster up the courage to connect in with someone and then be bumped around on waiting lists. Lastly, to our overseas listeners, almost all of our clinicians will do online consultations, and you may even find that with your currency conversion, they're even cheaper than local therapists. Okay, let's dive in. So was your mum formally diagnosed borderline? So she was diagnosed with bipolar and borderline schizophrenia. Wow, all three of them. Yeah. Can you start by telling us about that story you told me once about the trailer park? Yeah, yeah. Because I know that sets the scene. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. So how do you want me to set the scene? Okay, so what I remember from that story, and maybe can we start from here and then just work back? Yeah. Okay, so um, this image that I have in my mind from your story was of you sitting at the kitchen table Mm -hmm. in some derelict, um, like, trailer park. (laughs) I was going to say trailer park, yes. (laughs) And your mum, your mother, sitting, what, on the table opposite you? Yes. I was sitting on the couch. Yeah. And she was sitting on the table. And then she asked me to come to the table. And then just keep going from there. Okay. And then, so, when she asked me to come to the table, which it wasn't an ask, it was a tell. And then she wanted to have a conversation with me about, who knows what, I was just going with the flow at this stage um, because I was already feeling as if 
my anxieties were going through the roof and I was just like, I am just going to go with this person because Mm. they had reached the point where it wasn't mum. So I was just like, okay, I'm just going to go with it. Um, And then she got up from the kitchen table because we were eating and then she went to the kitchen and she grabbed a knife from the kitchen cupboard. And at this time, because I had literally, she'd reached a point where like she was no longer my mum. She, her like mental health had just like completely taken over. So at that point, I literally thought she was going to like come over to me and like kill me. And I was going to be that person on the news where like this mum went crazy and killed their daughter. Like that's the image that went through my head. So you can imagine the anxiety, but I was, I'm, I'm very used to keeping cool now because I've dealt with it my whole life. I I can sense the anxiety from you now recounting the story. Yeah. Like Like it's, it's and I've run this story a lot of times, like with my therapist that I see to work through these scenarios and like that. So that moment she, where she had the knife and like, that was like literally like, okay, I'm like going to die. This is where I end. This is, this is it. I'm going to be that person on the news tomorrow and like, that's it. Luckily that didn't happen. Um, and then she just came over and she just cut my super lucky or whatever I had. Um, and then she sat down we started talking and then like, because my anxieties were so high, I literally just asked her, mom, are you going to kill me tonight? And she laughed. So, like, as you can imagine, that is, like, I was already panic mode. Mm. And then she laughed. And the laughing made her even more crazy. Mm. And I was like, how can a human be like this? Again, knew that she had mental health. So, I was like, it's okay. Anyway, then she asked me, if I was going to kill you tonight, how would you be feeling? And or I think I think that was the words that she asked. And or how would you react? And I said to her, I'm like, well, I suppose I don't have any control, so I just sit here and die. And she came back and she was like, what? You just you just sit here and die? Like you wouldn't fight? You wouldn't like try and save your life? And I was like, no. If it's my time, it's my time. Hmm. She didn't like that answer. So then she started, then she said, oh, have you ever, have you ever come across death? And then, and then I said yes, because I'd obviously gone through cancer and I had like that scenario play out in my brain during that time. And then we started talking about that. Um, And then she, then I came back to her and said, well, what would you do if you were going to die tonight? And then she started crying. Oh. And then, again, because I don't, I don't get very emotional when she cries now because she's, she's, she cries so much and she's so over the top all the time. So I feel like that emotion from me has now disappeared when she is in a manic because it's just, I don't know, I've, I've cut that off. Mm. Um, so I don't have like that emotional connection as much anymore. Anyway, so then she started getting really emotional 
And then she started talking about it. And then like we started talking about other things. And then I just said to her again, I'm like, mom, I actually think you're going to kill me tonight. And that's when she came back and she was like, well, do you want to go back to the other house? And I said, yes. And then we went back to the other house on the way back to the other house in the car. It was like, she was just being like telling me how to drive. Um, she got, we got to a roundabout and there was a animal, I think it was like a, a goose or something like that in the middle of the, and this was like 10 PM at night. She got out of the car. She was chasing this, the animal down the road. She was stopping traffic. And I was just sitting in the car like, oh my God, still feeling like potentially she is just going to kill me somehow. Um, then we got back to her house. Um, and then she was unloading all her stuff. And I said to her, I'm like, I'm going to park my car outside. Cause I was meant to spend the whole weekend with her. And then once she got all of her stuff out of the car, she went to grab my bags. And I said, no, 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 I'll, I'll, it's fine. Like I'll grab my bags when I come in. And I, I felt then that she was kind of on to me about yeah. maybe I was actually just going to bail. Um, but she left my bags in there. And then as soon as I, I, pretty much just said, all right, I'll just go park my car and I'll be back in. Left. See you later. Haven't spoken to her since. How long ago was that? Four months. So, um... And this is the longest amount of time that I haven't spoken to her. Because that was the first time that I've ever felt that she was, like, going to kill me. Um... I mean, I can sense what I didn't get the first time you told me the story was yeah. the level of emotion in yeah. your voice and in your face. And like, I can sense that's very like palpable. So, um, it obviously really hit you in a deep part. Yeah. What in particular? <laughs> You're talking about it now. I'm getting a bit emotional because it's like a trauma, like that's like happened. And like I said, I've, I've run this so many times with, the person that I talk about these incidents with still like, I'll probably be running it for like a long time because like, that's what the effect that your parents have on you at the end of the day, like your parents are meant to be there to protect you. But one parent in particular has mental health problems and I try to protect her all the time by telling myself she's got mental health problems, but it's not normal when you think your parent is going to kill you. That's not normal. And of course you're an adult at this point, right? Like this is not a helpless child. And even as an adult, you felt threatened. Yeah. I probably had no, when you're younger though, like you wouldn't, I feel like I wouldn't have had any idea. I think when you become an adult and you observe behaviors you're going to pick up on that but when you're a child you probably just think it's normal Mm. that's probably what I did think when like mum was fun when I was young she was always like taking us to the beach and she was always fun she and like even I look at her with my niece and nephew now she's always fun like they would never see that side of her and a lot of people still have never seen that side of her they think that she's lovely Mm. Do you feel like you've got a deep distrust of her because of that? 100%. 
that's probably what's made me not talk to her for so long this time. Mm. Because it's reached a point where I just, I couldn't trust her, like, at all. Not with, like, imagine if I had kids. Like, there's no way I would, like, but when she's in that loving mum, caring, because she generally is a very caring person, but when she goes through, like, these chaotic episodes she's just a completely different person yeah so unfortunately you don't know when that's going to happen and when she is in those chaotic episodes you don't trust her like i said i thought she was going to kill me (laughs) and to i guess to a young version of yourself growing up were there other incidents like that that kind of rocked your world this much no Definitely not. Do you think that's because you're older now and come at this with a different perspective? Or has it changed with time for her? It's definitely changed with time. Like, I think she's getting more eccentric in her older age. Mm. Or maybe I'm becoming more emotionally intelligent with her behavior. um, Because those are, like, the things in my career that I'm constantly working on. So maybe, like, I'm more aware of the behaviors of her personality Um, And I'm more sensitive to it because I'm constantly working on that with myself. Um, I don't, I didn't notice it as much when I was younger. Um, There was definitely incidents, incidences where it's been unusual. Like we had another incidence where my nan passed away and which was her mother And we were over at my nan's house, like, after um, she'd passed away. And she was cooking us dinner. And she, again, like, was just very manic. Um, Like, the way that she spoke, she was very, like, talking really fast and, like, would say one thing and then talk about another thing. So, again, like, just that really manic, over-the-top behaviour. And then... I I could pick up on it straight away. Like, I'm quite sensitive to it now, so I know when it's happening. And I said to my brother, I'm going to go. And then, again, I, I couldn't tell her that I was going because you have to be very careful with when she's in that state because if you um, trigger her, she'll get violent. Okay. So, and I've never triggered the violence, so because I've been able to manage it. But my brother's triggered the violence because because I I suppose I feel helpless against her because I've seen her strength when she's on a high and gets violent. Mm-hmm. So I've never pushed it that far. I've always just been like cool, calm and collected to not trigger that. Um, so I ended up leaving. But as I was leaving, she saw that I was leaving. And then I'll never forget she was like, like, punching her head like she was like don't leave don't leave don't leave and I I, my brother ended up coming over and was like oh Jess is gonna leave and I end up leaving and then after that my brother called me the next day and told told me that after that she ended up running around the house like outside around the house screaming and then my brother 
stopped her and then she punched him and then he had to call the ambulance. I mean, so the, the police to arrest her because she was just so manic. Yeah, wow. So that was another incident. Um, there was one when I was, there was a couple more when I've been really young. And again, because I didn't understand it, like one was she came over to our house and we were staying with our dad and she ended up getting a brick and like smashing my dad's car, like completely every single window, it, like all the, the whole car completely smashed. I don't know why, but dad just kept her up kept us inside so he was there while it was all happening. yeah yeah but again he didn't do anything because he didn't know the state of her um he ended up going outside and restraining her just like sitting on top of her i think it was um and he still to this day he has like a big bite scar on his arm from her biting him Whoa. when he was trying to restrain her so that was another incident I could probably go through actually a lot. How do you think growing up with a mum like that has changed the person you are now? Because you talked about um, distrust for emotion almost, sort of what I took from that. Do you, like, without, without, I guess, painting that further and putting words in your mouth, like how has it changed the person you are today? Mm. being around that violent emotional swings and uncertainty and instability. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a distrust of emotion, um, but I think it has definitely, it has made me feel that emotion is not a good thing, which is not right. Now that I've got older, because what what I did was I... um, I saw emotions as being like a danger. Yeah. So any sort of emotion, um, like not any sort of emotion. So happy emotions, great. But then there's an eccentric emotion, which is also really happy, but it's like over the top. So that classified or told told me that that was maybe a bad emotion. And then you've got like an angry, um, violent emotion. So I suppose she made me think that emotions were a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So as I was growing up, I was probably a little bit cold and emotionless because I thought emotions were dangerous. So, but now that I'm a bit older, I've realized that that's maybe not the case. Um, And, but saying that I'm now quite interested in emotions. So... I am very, I like to do research on like emotional behaviors and I'm now getting quite interested in why people behave in a certain way. Um, and I work in sales, so that's obviously a big part of my role. Um, but before that, yeah, I suppose like I was, I thought any sort of eccentric emotions was like a bad emotion, but that's not right. Do you think that that sort of um, maybe attenuated emotional response was part of your personality as like a defense mechanism or do you think it was more just on a like a cognitive like head level? Did it impress like that deeply into you that it's part of who you are now? Um, like what do you mean? So 
Um, I know someone else who mm. grew up with very similar circumstances, mm-hmm. whose mother um, was diagnosed with borderline, and her feedback to me was that she um, feels like her whole personality was shaped growing up with someone that was so unstable emotionally mm. that she developed into the person she is today with like very little emotional sort of swings. Yeah. Maybe it's the wrong word to use, but maybe some element of like psychopathic in the sense that there's not a lot of emotional swings. Yeah. Oh, that was her re- yeah. Yeah, experience. Yeah, definitely. I think it definitely, it makes you want to be more stable emotionally. When, when, like, I know whenever I feel like I'm getting emotionally unstable, the first person that pops into my brain is my mum. And that's when I'm like, okay, I need to work out what's going on here. And then I'll either do like meditation or I'll do something to calm my mind to become eccentric. Because in my mind, I think that's not a good behavior. It's over the top. And I guess you've seen it expressed to the to the degree which it's... The extreme. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got that as a goalpost to be like, no, 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 I don't want to go anywhere in that direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And plus, like, again, I'm a bit older now, but when I was younger, like, probably my biggest fear was, like, to end up like my mum. So I suppose the only way that you work out how to not be like that person is to do the complete opposite. So you shut off your emotions yeah, to make sure that you don't end up like that person that you don't want to end up like. Even the way you talk about emotions is interesting because you talked about it at a head level. You know, you're interested by it. It's almost like you're standing outside it, looking in. Um, when At the beginning, when you talked about your experience in that trailer park mm. and you being anxious, my first thought was, that's probably outside of what you normally are. Oh, yeah. I don't see you as a very anxious person, no. are you? No, no, not at all. I'm not, I've never been an anxious person. Yeah. Um, probably the only time I've ever felt anxiety is when I went through my that big health scare um, mm. where I went through cancer. And that, that was definitely a, a turning point in, in my life where I actually thought, emotions were okay. Like it's actually quite healthy to cry every now and then to, I was always really happy. So like the, the excitement, the happy, the, that emotion was easy for me. Mm -hmm. It was the sad, it was the, um, fear. It was the, the anger. Those were the emotions that I avoided. So if I ever felt like that, I would just sort of shut off. Because you associated them with your mum. Yes. Yeah, and you saw that extreme picture and you went, oh, danger. Yeah, exactly right. So being in close proximity with someone like that, are you always on guard and monitoring and checking? Because you talked about that example with your brother where Mm. you started detecting that things were going in the wrong direction and you decided to get yourself out of there, out of the danger zone. Um. Are you always like monitoring emotional states? And do you think that that's given you a particular skill today as an adult in monitoring people's emotions? Do you feel like you've got a super skill or you're very sensitive in that regard? Yeah, I do. Because I'm always, I'm not consciously 
aware of it. So I don't look at people and go, oh, they're feeling like this or they're feeling like that based on their, their who they are. Or like, it doesn't, I'm not consciously thinking of it. I think subconsciously yeah. it's just ingrained in me now because I've grown up with an unstable figure in my life. It's not only made me interested in emotional behavior, but also maybe it's a skill set that I've developed that now is subconsciously in me that I can pick up in other people. And do you sometimes find that? Do you sometimes go hang out with friends with, say, um, you know, another friend or a partner and you walk away from that encounter going, oh, such and such was in an emotional state in this way and they'll not have realized that? Yeah, so you'll I did it actually insights? today with someone. Okay. And I said to her, I said to, so it was her husband yeah. and one of the people that we were with, they were like, oh, you know, was he okay today? And I was like, no, he's sad about this because he was telling me because, again, maybe I asked the right questions now to get that information out of people. And I knew I'm like, oh, no, he's sad about this, I can tell. And his wife was like, he is, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I could tell straight away. And you asked that question because you detected it yeah. with all the other nonverbals. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were just chit-chatting about things yeah. and then I just asked, you know, how's everything going or I don't, I can't exactly know what I asked. But he's opened up and maybe I, I come across as an open person as well. Like I share, they share. You do. So yeah. that conversation just flows now. Yeah. Um, so people naturally open up to me. Do you think it may have made you a better salesperson in your job because you're so good at reading emotions? You can detect where a potential client's at and then oh, yeah. adjust. Yeah, definitely. Because you know how far you could go or you shouldn't go. Because you know the emotional state. Yeah. You know when you can be playful, when yeah. you need to push, when you need to back off. Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. So I think one of the things that I really struggle with um, – when, when I talk to people about borderline or personality disorders or just really complex mental health um, situations like your mom, is finding the balance between um, feeling empathy for that person. Yep. But, but also knowing that sometimes you just need to take distance to protect yourself. Yep. Um, and then there's also... I've struggled that with that my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so I've always tried to take the empathy path because I generally think I'm a kind person. So I'm, I've always tried to protect my mum in a way where she, I know in her soul somewhere she's actually a very kind person. Mm-hmm. And she is. She's a very kind person when she doesn't have those episodes so that's what makes it hard though because you see those glimpses of this person that you could have a relationship with and you you know at the end of the day I think a mother-daughter relationship is very different to like a uh, like a son and a mother relationship so I've always wanted more from the relationship so I've always looked at the best in her to try and create that relationship. But then she'd constantly be disappointing me, constantly doing behaviors that would upset me, constantly doing all these 
weird, wonderful things that would just disappoint, 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 disappoint. And it wasn't until this last scenario and probably the fact that I'm getting married that I'm like, oh, do I want this for the rest of my life? Mm. And the fact that the last time I caught up with her, I generally thought that she was going to kill me. That's a big trigger. So that's like a pivotal point in our relationship. And right now I'm not sure what to do with it. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. So watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> That's very tough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when I speak to people who've been in close proximity with someone who's had a, a large personality disorder like borderline, I often hear that that like seesawing between wanting to feel empathy for the person but also needing to put distance away from them to protect themselves. Mm. Um, I've definitely created a lot of barriers and boundaries in my relationship. Like I don't tell her where I live okay. anymore. She doesn't know where I live. I only visit her. Okay. Whenever I'm feeling uncomfortable, I'll leave. I don't often go. She'll never come to my house because I can't escape if I need to. I can obviously leave my house, but she might be there when I'm back. Mm-hmm. So I'll never, I don't tell her where I live anymore. That was a boundary that I put in place probably about five years ago. Did something happen that triggered the need for that? She would rock up to my house in the middle of the night. She'd bang on the door. Um, she'd come over and not leave and she was making me feel uncomfortable. So my partner actually told me that it's probably a good idea that we don't tell her where we live, which I think was the best advice ever because now I actually feel safe in my home because I know she'll never rock up because she doesn't know where I live. Were there any other boundaries that you put in? Um, I don't give her my partner's phone number on purpose because... She'll call and call and call and call and call um, when she's in a manic. Um, After the last scenario, probably won't see her on my own anymore. I'll always have a friend or my partner with me. Yeah. Um, I, I think the other important piece about that story that you told me the first time we had this conversation um, that I think is important to include for context is the reason why you were in a trailer park at night time with your mum alone is because it was her birthday? It was her 60th birthday and I was shouting her on a weekend away. I gave her, I said, spend whatever you want. And this is where the empathy side comes in, the yeah. kindness. Like I want that relationship with her. Um, but it's just up and down and up and down and up and down. But yeah, I was taking her away on like a mother-daughter weekend away. That's really nice. Yeah. It's an amazing thing to do. Yeah. So the plan, so why did you do that? Well, I think because of what I said before, like she, like I know deep down she's a kind person and I try to, I, I try to always see the best in people and I try to understand that she has a mental health issue. So if I can 
make her happy, which she tells me all the time that it makes her happy to see me. And she misses her kids and she misses this and she misses that. But because of her mental health issues, she doesn't quite understand that she's actually pushing them away. But again, she's got mental health issues. So I, I, I feel for her that she doesn't have that awareness around she's pushing her friends and family away. So I always think about that when maybe I'm not so kind. Mm. I always go back to she's got mental health. Like, let's just still be there for her. And that's where the kindness comes in and go, you know what? It would be really lovely to go away for a weekend as like a mother and daughter. That didn't turn out very well. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I've also heard from people who live in close proximity with people with um, you know, complex mental health issues like this is that the person will go through cycles of um, devaluation and then of like idealization is the, the, I think, the technical language around it. So basically the person who's got the mental health issue will like love on you and dote on you and you can do no wrong. You are, you know, God's gift to the world. They just adore you. And then at the flip of a switch, you're the devil. You're the worst possible daughter or sibling or brother or sister that you could have asked for. You're evil, you're selfish, and all these things come out. Did you experience that? Many times. Many times. And I think that, 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 that behavior is actually addictive. And I think there's an element that you get addicted to because there's not many people in your life, think about it, that are like, oh my God, you're such an amazing person. You're so motivated. You're the most driven person I I know. You are incredible. And those are, so knowing a little bit about you, those are some key values for you. So hearing those words from someone speaks right to your value framework. Yeah. So your tail's wagging. Yeah. Yeah. And she would like, and she'd be so passionate when she tells me, which means- I believe her. Like, of course you believe her. And she, she would, she would say so many amazing things about me. So like, of course you're going to be addicted to that as well. So it's like, you're addicted to someone praising you, but then at the flick of a switch, she'd be like, you're a fucking bitch. Or you do this, you do that. Oh, you're the worst person I know gosh and that's where like it's just like whoa okay you're going up you're going down you're going up you can you're going down like and that's where that's where it's like hard to manage because you love them and then you hate them but you never hate them really you don't but there has been moments where I have actually wished that she was no longer alive because my life would be a lot easier which is a terrible thing to say but it would. I've actually heard that several times from different people mm. who, um, and, and I mean, your mom's a different case. Everyone's a different case and everyone's unique because your mom's got, you know, two other things as well um, as borderline. So she's borderline, she's schizoid and she's got bipolar. Yeah. Right. So it's an extremely complex trio there. Yeah. Um, but I have heard other people who've had parents who were borderline say, you know, I, I just, this relationship is hurting me so much. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that they say is they talk about um, the fear of abandonment. 
how that person will react really intensely and violently on the belief, real or imaginary, that they're going to be abandoned. Mm-hmm. Like an intense fear of abandonment. Did mm-hmm. you observe that at all? Mm-hmm. Um, when, so, when my brother and I turned the legal age of deciding who we wanted to live with, um, we were living with my mum. And then when we reached the legal age, my parents were separated, we both chose our dad. Wow. Which, as a mother, you could imagine how much that would have hurt you. Um, And that was definitely, there was a lot of, I remember there was a big fight in our driveway when dad came to take me and dad, me and my brother away and they ended up having like an actual like fight. That wasn't the bite mark fight. And that wasn't, was no, this was okay. a different one. And I remember, I remember my mum, she was absolutely distraught, like crying, um, like it was just like full on, like I've never seen anyone like that before and that would have been like that she she thinks she's never going to see us again mm. even though that would never happen but that definitely and there there's been moments all throughout our life where she's just constantly craving our time always wants to see us always wants to do that always wants to like just see us once a year which we didn't even want to see her once a year so Yes, hundred percent. That yeah, she had has that definitely. Do you think you've carried a lot of? And you don't need to answer this question. Um, do you think you carried a lot of trauma growing up? Mm. I think so, and I think a lot of it is it's unconscious trauma that you don't realize that you've got until you go and see someone about it. And that's probably what triggered me to go see someone about it Um, because I think there's been a lot of things in my childhood Mm. that are in my subconscious that my behaviour today in my adult life is being dictated by that subconscious thought or feeling or whatever it is. and now that I'm old enough, I'm trying to dig it all out to work through it to make sure that my soul is clear. Mm. Really, at the end of the day, I just want a clear soul. So it's definitely probably dictated a lot of my personality and like the way I've driven to do things and my work ethic and all that sort of thing. It's probably driven, but I've also had I had a very influential father which was the complete opposite to my mother Mm -hmm. so that's probably dictated that a bit as well what did your father do um with your with your mother when she was going through these phases and how how does he relate to her today and what's he taken away from it um he's actually very kind to my mother um they were I think they're like childhood sweethearts. They got together when they were 16, 17, like I don't know what age, but they got married young. Um, and I think her the mental health 
issues started when she was like in her 30s, like really dramatically. And that's when they split up. And he was always, and still to this day, he still picks up her phone calls when she calls. Um, So I think, yeah, he's still really nice to her. And he's got a love bite to think of her every time he looks in the mirror. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big one. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, it surprises me how he behaves with her, to be honest. Do you think it's admirable? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it sounds like it. That's what you'd assume, but yeah, these things like, are complex. Yeah, I think so. I just, you know, if if I didn't have any connection to her, I probably would be out. Hmm. And, like, at the end of the day, my dad doesn't. Like, he's divorced from her. We're adults. He doesn't need to see her or take her calls or messages or anything, but he still does. He's still nice to her, which is lovely. Do you think you can change your mum or do you think your mum should try and change? She'll, she doesn't have the awareness to change and she'll never change, no. It's just me adapting my life and the way that I am with her to suit me. But she'll never change. So you're changing your expectations, your boundaries. Yep. Okay, so you talked about the living arrangement thing, the phone numbers. Um, is there anything else, any other pearls of wisdom you have from dealing with someone like that that you may have had to learn the hard I, way? I think I think the the biggest things with living with someone like this is putting in your own boundaries because that person's never going to change. They don't have the awareness. They'll never change. So you've got to put in place things to make your life happier, to make your life a better place to be. Um, and I think one of the things that I did personally was go see a therapist to clear out all of that subconscious trauma mm. because you don't even realize it's there until you start talking about it and you don't want to talk about it with like y- y- sometimes you don't even know it's there. So that's why getting a professional to actually pull it all out of you to allow a clearer mind and then clearer decisions not based on subconscious decisions. So it sounds like you're almost saying working through that process of therapy lets you be aware of some of the things nudging you in different directions. Yeah. So when you come to a decision point, you're at least aware of what all these subconscious nudges are. Yeah. Um, that was my personal way of dealing with it. Um, and I have found that it's worked. And I feel like I'm a better person for it. Great. Did the therapist give you any suggestions or advice on how to deal with your mum? She gives me suggestions all the time. That are helpful? Always. So a lot of them, the the not telling her where I live, the not giving the partner's phone number, she'll help me with putting things. She never tells me these things. She'll we'll be talking about it and then she'll ask me what I think is therapists. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's a psychologist? Yeah. Uh, no, she's actually a healing therapist. Okay. So I don't know the background. I, it was a referral yeah. from a friend of mine and I just connected really well with her. Awesome. Um, I went and had like one consult. I just really liked the way that she 
did her therapy um, and I've been seeing her for probably 10 years now. Wow. Um, what are some of the good things that you've taken from your mum and your experience growing up with her? Because you, you talked about her being good when she was great. And someone told me the other day that they reckoned Marilyn Monroe um, had borderline. Yeah. Like that femme fatale, that, you know, that, that life of the party that walks into space, just lightens up the room, that captures the attention of Mr. President because yeah. you're you know, saying birth, happy birthday to him and caught JFK's attention. <laughs> you know, these, these incredibly charismatic personalities who also have the swings the other way. But like when they're up and when they're good, did you take anything from that or, or maybe from the negatives as well? Like what, what are the good things you've taken from, yeah. Mm. So I wouldn't have, uh, I haven't taken anything from her highs. Really? Like her, no. Um, the, the, the highs is definitely been a negative effect on me. It's because the behavior is eccentric and annoying right. and like, I would hear things like she'd go to the pub and she'd get into fights and um, she'd drink a lot and, like, so I didn't take anything from her highs. But her lows, not her, like, when she was really depressed and, like, in bed for months and all that sort of thing, that was actually, like, a, a good stage for the relationship because that's where her kindness came out. That's where she'd you know, help, uh, offer to help with things or we'd go out for a coffee and we could actually have a normal conversation because I'd pull her out of bed because I was happy to be around her because she wasn't unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And dangerous. And dangerous. So that that kindness, that um, able to have a nice conversation with her um, was definitely what I've taken from her personality because I know now that it's nice to be kind and it's nice to see you know different perspectives and that sort of thing and the generosity she was always so generous um financially and obviously with her time but a lot of the time I didn't want to hang out with her (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah probably the kind and the generosity were the two that's a theme from what I've observed as well. Um, when people with borderline are in the better phase of, of where they're at, mm. they're incredibly generous, incredibly... Um, it's funny though because she also had the generosity when she was on a high, but she would literally give $30,000 to her neighbour. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> so was she, was she medicated for bipolar? No. And, Okay, she so. was at one stage and that was when she had um, a car accident and she went to hospital yeah. and I had, I had to call the hospital and say I wanted a mental health check on her while she was there because I'd never got her into the hospital before. Um, and in there I actually had to – I had to have an argument with the doctor pretty much. Not an argument but I had to – bring a firm voice to the conversation saying it is your duty of care to do a mental health check on this woman. She's just been in a car accident and injured two people. And if you let her back out on the road and she kills someone, it's your fault. 
And that was a really hard conversation with the doctor. Yeah. And they didn't want to do it? They didn't want to do it because they didn't see that there was an issue. She was happy. She was bubbly. She was being really kind to the nurses. But that's the personality type that you're dealing with. Sounds like a poorly educated doctor. Yeah. Um, Anyway, he did it. Mm. And she went to a mental institute for two weeks. Straight after? Straight after. Whoa. She was in there. She was locked down. She wasn't allowed to leave. And that's where she got diagnosed with borderline schizophrenia and bipolar. And then she got medicated. She was on a program for 12 months. Um, And then unfortunately, once the 12 months were over, it wasn't, she didn't have to take the medication um, because she wasn't under um, like... um, Supervision. It's like supervision. Yeah. Yeah. And then it all stopped and she went straight back to... So did you Who see, she was before. Did you see the difference while she was medicated? Yep. She didn't have the manic episodes. She was probably a little bit too medicated. I think they never got it quite right because she was always on like a low. Yeah. So she was never she was never just, you know, not not in bed, if you know what I mean. So I don't think they ever got the medication right. I think if she was more proactive on actually saying, like, you know, I think we need to do this and need to do that, um, they probably would have eventually. But I think at the end of the day, once she didn't have to take it and then she didn't and then she went back on a high, people yeah. with bipolar love that high, so they're addicted to it. So she didn't want to go back on them. I often wonder what that must feel like when you're in that high. It's like you're in a place of euphoria. You are invincible. That's what she used to tell me. Really? Yep. Almost as if you just had like a massive drug hit. Yep. She used to not sleep. She used to drive interstate for hours. Like she just thought she was on top of the world. Hmm. It was weird. And then the price is paid with a downswing later? Yep. And the, the high usually lasts about four or five weeks. And then she'll hit rock bottom for another four or five weeks and then go back up, back down, back up, back down. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And absolutely zero awareness around it. That was the shocking part. That, that, is, that is shocking because you'd expect such violent swings if you have self-awareness that you'd be like, hmm, it's odd that I feel so much better today than yesterday for no reason. Mm, no, didn't oh. have it. Well, if she didn't have it, you kind of make sense of, of her conclusion not to have medicine, right? It's like, well, what's wrong with me? Nothing. Mm. She'd notice when she was on a low, so then she'd go on like antidepressants. Okay. So she actually did have the awareness around like, oh, I've been, I've been in bed for a little while. I think I need to go on some medication. So she'd go on like an antidepressant. But then she'd stop it because she was starting to feel good. Mm. And then she'd go on high. And then she'd stop taking it. And then she'd go back on a low. She'd stay there for a couple of weeks and be like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling low again. Maybe I should go back on my antidepressant. Wow. Yeah. That sounds rough. Yeah. It's just a vicious cycle. And that's been happening my whole life. Well, it sounds like you've taken a lot of good things from it. I think so. And like I said, I had an incredible dad. Luckily for my dad. Yeah. Because he's made me... A, a, a driven, a motivated person to be in charge of my own life and 
made me realize that it doesn't matter where you come from, you can create your own destiny. Like really you create your own life. It's not dictated by your past. That's a great outlook. Where would you like to end up with your mum in an ideal world? And I'm kind of conscious of where we're going with time as well. So maybe let's let's close on that thought. What would your so two questions. What would your ideal place be to end up with with your mum? And if you could tell her something sort of after this, would you want to say anything to her? My ideal scenario with my mum would be to be able to just sit at a coffee shop and have a coffee and like have a chat with her but I don't think that will ever happen so she just will never have that awareness so I I don't really see a future in our relationship to be honest um so we might have a phone relationship but an in-person relationship I don't think it'll ever be possible. There's a lot of hurt there from you. Yeah. I'm inferring that you (laughs) desperately want that to be the case. You want there to be a relationship. I definitely do, but I know it's not possible because she just doesn't have the awareness around it and it'll never be there. So it's just a matter of me working through being okay with that which is really tough yeah yeah i hope you're wrong (laughs) so do i but i'm 33 years old and it hasn't changed so i can't see it changing yeah and maybe the thing that makes it even more heartbreaking is the fact that um your mum probably has really good intentions and she probably really does love you. It's just she's caught in this roller coaster of a. Definitely. Yeah. It's maybe a good place for us to leave it. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want to talk about? I don't think so. That was pretty detailed. That was really detailed. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all that. It's okay. Um, that was really vulnerable, but I think for me, I mean, we didn't even talk about your illness. Um, I think you're an incredibly courageous person on so many levels and I'm sure that part of your experience with your mum has created that person you are today. Oh, I think so. Like there's been like elements definitely that, you know, they they say that your parents shape you. They have. Yeah. Both of them in good ways and in bad ways, but they've both shaped me. Yeah. And then as I've got older, I've shaped myself. Well, thank you for sharing your story. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, well, that's it for today. We hope that you found this story helpful in some way. If you have your own story that you'd like to share with others in the hope of helping them, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to hey at talklink.com.au. If, like Lucy, you'd like to speak with someone about something that is affecting you directly or someone near to you, you can head on over to talklink.com.au. There you'll find over 160 psychologists, counsellors and psychotherapists available and ready to help you straight away. Keep well and see you next time.